the brewing industry has made history. I mean, they're breweries, but this is businesses on their own. So you have over a thousand businesses that are contributing to the moving and commerce in support of social justice. I don't think that's ever been done in history. It's an age-old question. Can you do well by doing good? Welcome to the Grow for Good podcast, where we speak with leaders who strive to make a positive impact on the world. Here's the host of the Grow for Good podcast, Jed Morey. Marcus Baskerville, son of Sacramento, came by his love of craft beer honestly. You see, California is the craft beer capital of the country, with the most independent breweries per capita. And in sheer numbers, California has doubled the amount of breweries than the next most popular state. Baskerville began experimenting with the home brew kit his sister had purchased, and after a while, became quite renowned in his homebrew scene. The scene was rich with information on becoming a better brewer, and mentors were abundant and eager to share. Eventually, he relocated to San Antonio, Texas, got a regular day job, and set about making a name for himself in his new hometown, known more for Dos Equis than craft beer. Soon, Baskerville was flourishing as a home brewer and was offered a chance to do a tap takeover at a local brew pub. Marcus was officially in the craft brew game. Like hundreds of bearded hipsters with tattoos and a killer recipe before him, Baskerville went from hobbyist to entrepreneur and wound up opening up his own craft beer brewery with his friend and colleague Mike Holt, called Weathered Souls. A couple of things set Baskerville apart from his predecessors, though. First is the Weathered Souls signature stout. More on that later. Another thing is that he was one of only a handful of brewers in San Antonio. Oh, and Marcus Baskerville is black. Now, you might not think that a blackhead brewer and entrepreneur is unlikely in this day and age, but the numbers speak for themselves. Craft brewing is a white male-dominated industry like almost no other. Female head brewers make up roughly 5% of all head brewers in the country. Black brewers are around 1%. Being a black head brewer is only part of this Grow for Good story. Like all great entrepreneurs, there's so much more to tell, and Marcus Baskerville is far from one-dimensional. Neither are his beers. We'll talk more about his craft, his position in the industry, and an idea he had this summer that sparked a revolution in his industry. Welcome back to the Grow for Good podcast. I'm Jed Morey, CEO of Morey Creative Studios, executive producer of the Social Justice Podcast Newsbeat, and host of Grow for Good. A lot of ground for us to cover today, speaking with Marcus Baskerville of Weathered Souls Brewing Company. And I won't pretend that my due diligence for the show was anything less than awesome because I love craft beer and I was able to actually get my hands on one of Marcus's signature stout formulas, Black is Beautiful, in preparing for the interview. So needless to say, all show prep should be this delicious. Marcus, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. How are you guys doing today? We are great. I actually want to start by uh, getting into the brew culture a little bit to set the table for the listeners in the show so they can get to know you and your industry and bring them through the journey by starting with the industry writ large and then dig a little deeper into your personal story and then talk about the movement that you inspired. I had listened to quite a few of the beer podcasts that you appear in while prepping for the show, and I really got lost in the culture and the rich descriptions of the brewing process. Mm -hmm. And it seems that there really is like a, a mad scientist aspect to what you do. And I love hearing entrepreneurs talk about their products and their process before anything. So can you start by just telling us about your industry and what you love about the art and science of brewing? 
Yeah, um, never in my life, I don't think I would ever got into beer growing up. That wasn't really something I was into. I didn't start drinking beer until after college, actually. So for me, it was more so from what I seen when I first got into it was we got into beer because of the camaraderie. So that was pre-brewing, right? So we got into it because of the camaraderie, you know, the overall aspect of beer brings conversation, beer brings people together. That sparked a different relationship for me and my brother and my cousin. And we started like our own beer club and, you know, we had that aspect of it. And then the brewing, I actually am a very competitive person. (laughs) So I got into brewing based off of competition, actually. Uh, My brother had brewed a beer first. It didn't come out that great. And then it was like, well, I could do a better beer than you. But what I love about the brewing industry and love about what I'm able to do is I can get creative. You know, there's a creative aspect to what we do. It's almost art in a sense, you know, and, but then you also have the chemistry aspect of it. You also have the biology aspect of it. Mm-hmm. It's all of these things that intertwine together to create one product. And then it's the fact that not everybody can do it. So to be able to be in a place to where you can do it okay or well, you know, it says a lot. For me, it's more of the the art aspect of it as to why I love it and why I actually have a, a passion for it, I think. So in a couple of the interviews I heard with you, there was a discussion about uh, the differences in breweries versus brew pubs and how states regulate the production and distribution. Can you educate us a little bit on the different types of brewing operations and maybe where you fit into the mix? Yeah, so dealing with like for us, for instance, in the state of Texas, there's brew pub license and there is brewery license. Brewery license, you have more of a line of distribution allowability to be able to reach out a certain amount of barrelage per year. For a brew pub, you're capped at 10,000 barrels per year. Because of the way that we operate, even with uh, distribution and such, it's not like we're going to hit 10,000 barrels anytime soon. So we're able to operate at the brew pub level. Also, at a brew pub level, you can act as a retailer. So if I wanted to, I could go ahead and have other breweries' beers on tap, other people's beers on tap, or even sell them within the tap room. We don't do that because we self-distribute. So if we were to allow other people's beer into our brewery, it would eliminate our self-distribute option. But as far as breweries, they don't have that retail option. Um, and then the other biggest thing, although that's changed now, was originally dealing with the brew pub license gave you the ability to have beer to go. This is before the laws changed in the Texas, uh, which was just last year. But before that, if you were labeled as a brewery, you couldn't sell beer to go from your tap room. So is this a, a state by state type of regulation? Oh, yeah. Most most regulations are state by state. I see. So let's talk about Texas then, because even though you're a native Californian, you set up shop in Texas and started I think you started brewing a stout first. Is that right? Actually, the first beer that I got into were IPAs, but my love started in home brewing for stouts. So brewed a couple of them within the first years of uh, getting the home brewing and really enjoyed the style, really enjoyed the process of creating them. Um, I think I even did a couple barrel-aged ones as a home brewer. So yeah, that's kind of what got me into stouts. But also the fact that the first good beer that I ever made was a porter. So Ooh. it kind of kept me going in that direction. Kind of, I guess I understood more of the uh, malt process a little bit better dealing with uh, recipe formulations with those when it first started. 
Okay, but you're you're talking about formulas that kind of evoke an image of like winter and fireplaces and freezing <laughs> Irish pubs. But like, does it surprise you that you were able to launch and take off in a place like Texas in such a hot climate with the with a deep, dark, heavy beer? Uh, yes. Yeah. So we had a lot of pushback from the local scene at first, actually. Uh, like, oh, you know, this is Texas, <laughs> but. I mean, dealing with the stouts that we brew, um, there was a niche that really wasn't being hit within the state of Texas at the time. And so uh, we were able to capitalize on it. And now you look and all of the popular breweries in Texas try to brew stouts. So, Is that right? Yeah. Ah, copycats. So let's not ignore the fact that we're recording this, obviously, in the midst of a global health crisis. And what we were dealing with in spring in New York here has now moved your way down to Texas. And I'm, I'm curious as a business owner, how your company was affected by coronavirus and how you've navigated through this. The first round of coronavirus, we did okay. The local community was really supportive of a lot of the breweries around town and basically made sure they came out and supported and we were selling out of releases, you know, two, three minutes for releases and everything was going great. We actually even bought two new tanks during uh, COVID. We were able to maintain all of our employees without letting anybody go. So that was obviously the, the most important thing out of it. But then our governor decided, hey, let's go ahead and open back up Texas. Within doing so, you know, we opened back up the tap room. We started our barbecue options again. We have one of the top barbecue pitmasters in San Antonio um, cooking out of one of our kitchens. And so during the to-go options during for COVID, food really wasn't moving that well. So he uh, kind of limited the menu and stuff like that. So we went back to a full menu option, went back to beers on tap, 50% occupancy within the brewery. Then I think about two weeks in, maybe a week and a half in, we're getting ready to open at 11 a.m. The governor comes on at 10 a.m. and was like, everybody has to close shop up by noon today Mm. so the second round has been a lot more tougher this has probably been the worst financial month i think we've ever had since we've been open but hopefully some things will turn around soon (laughs) uh we're kind of adjusting our production to fit a different schedule that will hope hopefully help us out a little bit so we'll see what happens okay so in delving into your personal story a little bit, as if a pandemic isn't enough, our country's also going through kind of an awakening to some longstanding issues of systemic racism and violence towards the black and brown communities. And before we touch on what's happening right now, you're a pretty prominent figure in an industry that is dominated by white men. And I think we gave the numbers in the introduction, but essentially less than 1% of head brewers in this country are black. Does this empower and inspire you in some ways? Is it a burden or does your experience lie somewhere in between that? I think my experience lies somewhere in between that. For me, I'm a very proud black man. My dad raised me to be one. And so I've always presented myself as one. But on the other end of the spectrum, when it comes to this industry, it's been nothing but those white men that have helped me in my career from volunteering from when I was home brewing to helping me with different options as far as how to set up the brew pub, recipe help, 
even my business partners, Caucasian, um, and dealing with the way that that happened, me and him had became friends and we're out drinking one day. And I was like, hey, when are we going to open a brewery? And so I've been waiting for you to ask me that. <laughs> so my experience has been a little bit different than some of my other peers that I do know that have had it kind of rough in this industry from people getting jobs over them to even some of my uh, peers going to the fact that they've had to speak to over 200 investors before they were able to secure a loan hmm. and dealing with where they were going to be located was a no brainer as far as a brewery needing to be there. Everybody has different experiences. So mine obviously have been decent. I haven't experienced a lot of racism, if any, uh, in the brewing industry, but on the other side of the spectrum, I know people that have, mm-hmm. I know from conversations from people who've had experiences going into the tap room and, you know, issues with that as a consumer is a different thing. I've noticed things as a consumer, like the lack of advertisement, the lack of marketing, even as a consumer going into a tap room and people assuming you don't know anything. And it's like, sir, I probably (laughs) (laughs) probably could educate you on a few things, but no, it, it really hasn't been that bad for me. So let's talk about mentorship then in in your industry, both in terms of how the industry treated you as a young brewer and what you are doing to kind of facilitate awareness Mm -hmm. uh, and mentorship in the black community that this is a viable career path. There are opportunities here. What does that look like in practice? This is how I see how the craft beer industry is and how I think black people, people of color should go about it. We know that the industry itself is very white dominated, but based off of experience, we also know that it has the potential to be inclusive. Where the issue lies of the lack of diversity within craft beer goes all the way back to the 60s and 70s when craft beer was first emerging. You figure you go to certain areas and it was a lot easier for a white person to secure small business loans than African-Americans. I wouldn't have been able to go into a bank in the seventies and be like, Hey, um, I need this hundred thousand dollar loan or $50,000 loan. So I can start brewing beer for a living. They would have kicked me out. So it stems back all the way to there, but you look at it and there's the lack of marketing, the lack of advertisement. And so people get deterred in, think that, hey, this isn't for me because you don't see any representation of yourself there. But what I say to that is for the people that want to get in the industry, get in. You know, mm-hmm. you might not get started where you want to, but if that's something that you want to pursue and that's something that you want to get into, get in the industry. Nobody from at least what I've seen with my eyes, nobody is stopping you from getting in the industry. Now, again, you can be in different locations, demographics that might make it difficult for you. Again, I don't know everybody's experiences outside of my own, but if people want to go ahead and get in the industry, all you have to do is get your foot in and find you somebody who um, is knowledgeable that's going to be able to educate you on what you need. And then you go from there. I've been lucky enough to make friends with some of the best brewers in the industry. Um, especially being from California and meeting some of these people. I got to meet them years upon years ago, Um, even coming to Texas, meeting some of the best brewers within Texas. But I put myself out there. I went ahead and and brought them, you know, homebrews and beers and 
email them, hey, I have a question about this or about that, you know, that type of thing. And so you have to be proactive as far as as what you want. Everything obviously can't be handed to you. So I say to that, people that actually want to physically go ahead and get in the industry, just get your foot in and see where it goes. Now, if you get pushed back from there, then that's a different thing and make people aware. I know that the Brewers Association has been working diligently lately because of the current situations that are emerging in the world dealing with the social justice stuff. So they've even implemented a new thing where they can remove breweries for racism and different things like that out of the Brewers Association. So you can always speak up. But as a business owner, black business owner, I would say I've had more negative experiences with that than the actual physical brewing industry. For instance, I'm working one day super early in the morning. This older Caucasian woman comes to the door. Hi, is your owner or manager available for me to go ahead? And she was trying to sell something. So I cut her off. And I asked her, I said, well, what makes you assume that I'm not the manager or the owner? Oh, I didn't mean it. I didn't mean to. No, you already offended me. Hmm. But just so you know, I'm the manager and the owner and I don't (laughs) want business. So, you know, have a lovely day, that type of thing. So I've had a few of those experiences or even when we were first opening, um, I had a younger uh, Caucasian guy working for me. And people would automatically assume because he was the white guy with the long beard and long hair, you know, that super rustic look that he was the head brewer. So they would come up to me. Oh, you know, I talked to the head brewer and I'm like, you talked to the head brewer. I've never met you before. Like, you know, that type of thing. Right. So I've had those experiences. But as far as physical blatant racism from my peers, I've been fortunate enough not to experience anything like that, at least not to my face. Well, we're going to take a short break, but when we return, we're going to talk to Marcus more about his company, Weathered Souls, and the Black is Beautiful program that made him a household name in the brewing community and landed him in publications such as Forbes. So we'll be right back. Is your company looking to scale? Mori Creative Studios is a Diamond HubSpot partner agency that helps organizations leverage HubSpot's platform to achieve sustainable and predictable growth. From video production and inbound content marketing to sales and customer retention strategies, Mori Creative Studios provides comprehensive digital solutions for your company so you can grow for good. Visit moricreative.com to learn more. Welcome back. You're listening to the Grow for Good podcast with Jed Mori of Mori Creative Studios. And my guest, of course, is Marcus Baskerville, head brewer and founder of Weathered Souls Brewing Company in San Antonio, Texas. Marcus, we run a digital marketing agency in New York, but our roots are in journalism. And we still produce a show called Newsbeat that covers different social justice issues. In one of the more recent episodes, we spoke with Dr. Arlene Geronimus from the University of Michigan. She actually coined the term weathering three decades ago to articulate the long-term effects on disenfranchised groups, oh. specifically African-Americans. I did not know that. And yes, her thesis was that it caused them to age in an accelerated rate due to the mounting and persistent social stress. So when we saw the name of your company, the producers on the other side of our company in Newsbeat said, oh my God, that's, you know, what, what, what are the chances that we just covered the whole concept of weathering and now we're talking to Weathered Souls Brewing? Did any thought about that go into Weathered Souls? Can you talk about the origin of the name? Um, No, not at all. I guess in hindsight, maybe a little bit. 
But no, the name is more so owed to uh, my business partners, grandfather and father, that kind of weathering the storm situation. For me, it was more so where it resonated when we discussed the name dealing with my uh, life progression. You know, like I said, I would have never thought that I would have gotten to brewing or anything like that. That wasn't something that sparked me as a younger person or youth, even college, post a couple of years out of college. I used to actually be in banking. So uh, it was more so dealing with that, the cross of careers and kind of what I've been through uh, since then to get to this point, because I honestly would have probably never seen myself in Texas either. So there you go. (laughs) So rather than teeing up the Black is Beautiful initiative for you, I was hoping you could explain exactly what it is in your own words and then maybe talk a little bit about the unbelievable amount of support that you got with more than a thousand breweries participating in this. Can you break it down for us? Yeah. So what the Black is Beautiful initiative is a call. Well, originally it was a call to breweries in the U.S., craft beer breweries to be specific. But at this point, we've transcended past that. It's hit big beer. It's hit whiskey companies, other distilleries. It's gone to 20 plus different countries. Um, so we can't really call a, a call to arms in this U.S. anymore. So it was called to, I guess, anybody who wanted to participate at this point in uh, bringing awareness to the social injustice and inequality that's been going on lately. Being in the brewing industry, again, I, I know that it had the potential to be inclusive. So originally I was going to go ahead, make a like a single release within the brewery. Another uh, brewer in Texas kind of challenged me to turn it into a collaboration. So at the time of the collaboration, I figured we would probably get maybe 200, 250 breweries or so. Mm-hmm. So to see it hit well over a thousand and reach multiple countries, it's been like the most humbling experience I've ever had. It also, at this point, to me, has the brewing industry has made history. I mean... We look at this and there's literally over, I mean, they're breweries, but this is businesses on their own, right? So you have over a thousand businesses that are contributing to the moving of commerce in support of social justice. I don't think that's ever been done in history. Describe sort of the open source way that you did it and how you were able to get scale so quickly. Yeah. Dealing with the actual initiative in itself, basically the breweries that want to get involved can go ahead. We have the website, blackisbeautiful.beer they go ahead and get signed up. What we do is provide the recipe for the beer. So it's a stout recipe. The reason why I chose a stout is because the different hue colors of stout can range anywhere from the dark chocolate brown all the way to the deepest black, right? Kind of like the hues, the color of black people like myself. So it was kind of a no-brainer to do a stout. We left it open as far as the creativity aspect, right? So, you know, even at a couple hundred breweries, you don't want a couple hundred breweries brewing the exact same beer. So we basically gave people the canvas and they were left with the paintbrush to get as creative as they want to as far as the recipe goes. And then from there, we also provided the label. So for the can or bottle, we provided the label for them and basically asked them to donate 100% of this proceeds from this beer to a local charity or foundation that supports police justice reform and or legal fees help. And it's kind of expanded from that since at this point, As long as you're supporting a charity, foundation, uh, organization that supports diversity within your community is more so what we're asking at this point. 
Um, and the reason why I wanted to do it locally is because one, I didn't want to have control of everybody's money, but two was the aspect that even at a couple of hundred of breweries, which I was thinking to have that money spread and have that many people invest themselves in their community would be the most important aspect of it. So I think the most beautiful thing about this initiative so far is the 1000 plus breweries now that are opening these dialogues and conversations with local charities or foundations that probably normally they wouldn't have a relationship with. I heard you mention, I think on one of the the shows that I listened to that one of your goals was to just start conversations even in local communities. Cause you imagine that people grab the beer and then the inevitable question, what is that? I had that experience over the weekend when we opened it and we were with family and it sparked. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, must have been a two hour conversation and it was wonderful. I mean, it was almost magical. Have you gotten any type of feedback where you're like, yes, that's the conversation I want you to have? Yes. Um, actually seeing originally people getting excited about it, um, consumer wise, even just on social media and some of the conversations that were started, people tagging their breweries, asking them to get involved. But outside of that, I was just telling somebody, I actually posted it on my Facebook the other day, is what I've enjoyed the most, even more so than getting all of the beer delivered, is some of the letters and notes that I've received from some of the breweries as to why they're getting involved mm. and, and why they wanted to participate. And so that definitely lets me know that we're doing this for the right reasons. And we have a lot of breweries that are participating for the right reasons. So... As this is also a business show, one of the things I was wondering about before uh, we hopped on together was the type of sacrifice that comes when you have to rise to a moment like this in history that nobody can plan for. You know, I've heard you say that time with your kids is extremely important to you. Obviously, day-to-day issues that crop up running any business are hard enough when there isn't a global pandemic or (laughs) social unrest. Has the success of this program made it more difficult for you to focus on running your business? Are you losing yourself a little bit in this? Or are you just like, um, how, how tired are you and versus how inspired are you? <laughs> After the first couple of weeks, I was exhausted. It was um, a lot of conversations and I'm a huge introvert. So it was a lot of conversations, a lot of interviews, a lot of podcasts, a lot of phone calls and a lot of meetings. And I was completely exhausted. But once I started hearing the reasons as to people getting involved and the thank yous for starting the initiative, it kind of reinvigorated me as far as the the movement itself and, and what it means to me. It definitely has taken me away from the brew floor. Um, luckily, I do have a very, very, very competent brewer. What's funny is we had a conversation just a week before. And uh, he had came to me actually asking if he could start brewing more because he got hired, I think, a week before the pandemic started. Um, <laughs> so his job was going to be because our production was picking up dealing with distribution. His job was going to be uh, focusing on the distribution beers. So then COVID happened and that shut down. So I'm still brewing a majority of the beers, stuff like that. So he came after a couple of months, had a conversation. And then literally the next week, the initiative starts. So I got completely removed away from the brew floor. This started taking up 24 hours of the time. Outside of that, it has taken me away from the kids and 
in my home dealing with the social interactions we've had. And I realized it uh, when my daughter, I came home, I think this was about maybe a week and a half ago. And she was like, dad, why are you home? You're supposed <laughs> to be at work. Mind you, this is like 830 at night. Hmm. You're supposed to be at work. No, pumpkin, I'm supposed to be at home. So <laughs> I said, yeah, I could definitely see, you know, I've been spending a lot of time focused on the initiative. But the wife, she understands how important this is and and what we're doing it for. And so she's been super supportive with maintaining the household and making sure the kids are good and stuff like that. So I can kind of devote myself to this right now. One of the main thrusts of DEI initiatives is for more diversity in the boardroom and the C-suite kind of as a whole. And the theory, which has been borne out by the research over the last several years, is that it has a tendency to widen the company's perspective and opens even new financial markets that were previously untapped or, or ignored. And I'm wondering if there's a corollary in your world, like how can diversity impact the brewing world? I think it's obvious that if consumers see themselves reflected in the process, if they see you as the head brewer and you gain some notoriety, that black and brown customers might say, you know, I've never thought about craft beer. And there's that understanding. But is it possible that having more diversity in brewing itself will reflect changes in the actual products at some point? Is there a black perspective that can be brought to beer that's a little bit different? I think so. And you see it with the appropriation that's already been done with the multiple breweries that use black culture for their labels and advertisement. So, I mean, it's already being done. <laughs> um, but I think that um, on the other side of the spectrum, I mean, definitely it's going to change product because there's different cultures, right? Different flavor cultures, different cultures when it comes to food, different cultures, even when it comes to drinks. So, you're going to see some of that relay into the brewing processes and the beers and stuff like that, but just also within the actual physical culture and within itself, it's, it's different. I mean, you see a lot of breweries already play hip hop within their tap rooms and use the the rap lyrics for names of their beers and, you know, the, the black caricatures on their uh, bottles and, and cans. So it's already being done on a certain scale. So, I mean, I would say that more than likely, yes, that's very true. Last question is more on a personal note. My introduction to the world of craft beer was Hetty Topper from The Alchemist in Vermont. You had a wonderful introduction. It was pretty mind-blowing, I have to say. <laughs> um, before that, I actually I, I didn't know that beer could be that good, to be honest. But I imagine that you've sampled beer now from all over the world. So if I forced you to put Weathered Souls aside and choose a brewery with one selection from the brewery, who's at the top of their game in your mind right now? My, well, I would have to choose a stout if I was going to choose. these stouts. I would choose a stout, and I would probably say my favorite stout producer is Perennial in St. Louis. Wow. Okay. If you had to choose an IPA. If I had to choose an IPA, I am going to go classic West Coast, and I would probably say Russian River. So how do you think it came to be the Cal is it just that California is always ahead of everybody else? Because I think the <laughs> it's they have double the amount of breweries than the next state, right? Yeah. Um well it had a lot of things to do. I know in the past alcohol laws were a little bit looser in California, but also it's the water. 
I mean, California has great water for brewing. So, and you'll notice uh, the East Coast, certain areas in the East Coast have great water for brewing. And you'll notice those difference in the products of these beers. So as far as California goes, the craft beer spark started way back in the 70s there, kind of got there even, you know, the early 2000s before the whole big rush. And then even then, California is a beautiful state. So why wouldn't you want to open a brewery there, right? Yeah, why not? So I lied. I have one more question for you. And this is strictly uh, from a business perspective. When you open up a brewery like this, and I think some people have more of a fantasy perspective when it comes to brewing, that this is going to be like the dream job when it's actually an, an immense amount of work, incredible amount of hours, and it's a very physical job. When you build a company like this, do you build it with an exit in mind or do you just assume like, this is my passion, my vocation, and I'm just going to be doing this for as long as I can keep doing it? Yeah, um, pretty much. You get into craft beer, you have that whole real craft brewers have that whole mentality of not being bought out type of thing. So, I mean, unless some mad money magically popped up somewhere, you know, you get this immense hype where there's hundreds of thousands of people that support your brewery a year. I mean, you'll be doing this for a while. So, yeah, it's (laughs) grinding it out and trying to, you know, survive. A lot of people think, you know, this is where the money is at and it's really a hard job for very minimal pay. Like I could easily go back into banking and probably make about 25 to 30,000 more than what I make now. I mean, to be honest, mm-hmm. um, especially with the experience that I had within fraud, it's, it's more a passion project. It's more something like your heart has to be in it for you to actually survive this and actually put some effort into what you want to do. I know a lot of people get into brewing because they see all these breweries open and it has this allure to it. Like, oh, I want to open a brewery type thing. But honestly, this is the hardest work I've ever done in my life. (laughs) I mean, just some of the things like I've had to, yeah, like I've had to do here. And I mean, even getting the brewery open and plumbing, electrician work, you know, I've, I've literally have, used a uh, power drill to to build the trench drain like this is stuff that i did not do like not in banking. Or, no not at all right i sat <laughs> at a desk i had my own office air conditioning you know that type of thing so being said that the brewing industry isn't very easy at all it takes some some real passion to want to survive in here well marcus baskerville this was an absolute pleasure and if you'd like to learn more about weathered souls brewing company you can go to weatheredsouls.beer. To hear more interviews with Marcus and his now global Black is Beautiful initiative, just search his name in your podcast app. I guarantee it'll come up right away now that you are a global phenomenon. Is there anything else, uh, any other ways that people can get in touch with you or anything else that you want to let our listeners know before we go? Yeah. um, If anybody wants to support the initiative, please go to blackisbeautiful.beer. Consumers can go ahead and sign up and uh, get updates on the project. And then also, please share with your favorite local breweries. If you see anybody not involved, let's try to get them signed up. As always, we appreciate you tuning in. If you have any suggestions for a guest on the show, feel free to email us at growforgood at moreecreative.com. And if you enjoy the show, like us, rate us, and review us wherever you download podcasts. And I just want to leave on the note that while I was drinking coffee through this episode, the most insulting thing that happened was I I watched Marcus crack a nice cold beer Uh on his end. And I wish I was there enjoying it with you. Thanks for your time today. Thank you for having me. 
The Grow for Good podcast is produced and distributed by Mori Creative Studios, a Diamond HubSpot partner agency that helps organizations leverage HubSpot to achieve sustainable growth. Grow for Good is a registered trademark of Mori Creative Studios. This is a Mori Creative Studios podcast.